Hi! Here to say two things before getting into the episode. First, we had a different recording setup this time that wound up featuring me holding and talking into my microphone while also trying to flip through books. So that's a little clumsy and noisy sometimes. Second, and more importantly, while Angel's curse comes up multiple times in the comics we discuss in this episode, we did not have a conversation about Romani representation in media and in the Buffyverse specifically. I was kind of thinking since it's such a big part of Buffyverse lore and also since in more recent years there's more effort and thought around using respectful and accurate depictions and language for fellow human beings than maybe there was in the 90s and the early aughts maybe it's already a conversation you have run into and are aware of, but upon reflection I realize that may not be true whatsoever. So if you would like to read about slurs and about Romani representation, there's some stuff linked in the show notes. Cool? Cool. On to the episode. Oh, hello there, gentle listeners. Welcome to Buffyverse Comic Book Club, where we are reading and discussing Buffyverse comics in mostly chronological order. I'm Emily. And I'm Sam. Today, we are starting with Spike vs. Dracula Part 1, which was published by IDW in 2006. Uh, You can also read it in the Spike vs. Dracula trade paperback, which was also published in 2006, or in the IDW Spike Omnibus, which was published in 2009. And that's what I have. That's where I read it. It was written by Peter David, who's most well known for a multi-year run on Spider-Man, as well as runs on the Hulk and Fantastic Four, drawn by Joe Caroni, who mostly done adaptations of tv shows he did some true blood he did some x-files some star trek and some farscape and then colored by thompson knox letters by robbie's robbins and tom b long and edited by chris Rial. you never mentioned the editor yeah i know but it was right there so i thought i might as well say it hmm. it's because most things are edited by that guy i don't like yeah that's dark horse yeah, no, we don't gotta talk about that guy. Is your cut co- the cover of that just Spike's face? Yeah. Oh man. It's so He looks intense. so angsty. Yeah, also I think I was telling you about this one time. Like Joss Whedon's name is not in here. Hold on, I'm gonna check. Oh, I mean it says like Spike created by Joss Whedon and David Greenwald, but that's it. And that's just in like the publication information. Not well nowadays. Uh, Joss Whedon makes sure his name is in big letters on the cover. Okie dokie. All right. There's a lot of faces. What? A lot of faces. In the comic book? <laughs> yeah. That'll happen. I just mean like a lot of very close faces. Look at Dracula. Whew. Okay. So, at this point, I mean, if you've watched the shows and not read the comics and are reading them in chronological order, then this is the first time Dracula has shown up in the comics. 
Buffy versus Dracula was 2000. Several years to come up with this comic book concept. In Buffy versus Dracula, when Riley goes to ask Spike if he knows anything about Dracula, Spike is all like, he owes me 11 pounds, and we're old rivals. Then he got famous, forgot all about his foes. And also, you know, because of Dracula being famous, everyone knows about vampires and how to kill vampires and blah, blah, blah. Also says that as far as magical powers, Dracula can only do, um, doing air quotes, showy gypsy stuff. So that is the, like, Buffyverse Dracula information that we're working with and you know he can turn into a bat can turn into wolf etc um so this comic kind of fleshes out the oh where did he learn to do magic things i am not trying to log into steam right now we could be playing video games (laughs) um i'm looking at my notes i feel like they cover Almost all of that in this issue. I'm impressed with uh, Peter David's watching of that episode and being like, oh, I should use that. Because I feel like oftentimes in these comics so far, they don't do that. They're like, eh, continuity, whatever. Gonna do some random shit. Yeah. Yeah. But for the most part, though, we haven't had very much directly from the show. In the comics we're reading, though. So I feel like there have been few opportunities so far for, like, continuity or flubs thereof. I guess so. Because mostly we've just been reading random slayers and vampires. Apparently he keeps a journal that includes sketches. Because all these freaking vampires sketch all the time. If you live forever, I imagine you get bored. I guess so. He has roots to all the Romani, but he favored the Calderash above all others, which should, you know, like send off little alarm bells in your brain because that is the... They say clan in this, but clan? yeah. Clan? Oh, sure. That Jenny Calendar is from. So like from the very start of this, it's like, oh, this will somehow tie into Angel and his curse and whatnot. And sure enough, it does. Dracula was close with a sorceress who taught him how to do some shit. And then after Angel was cursed, Darla and Drusilla and Spike did their little revenge slaughter. Killed a bunch of people, including Dracula's sorceress friend. And so then he decides to go and do some revenge upon... I mean, revenge upon Spike, I guess. Because it's the men fighting and using the women as... Yeah, he wants revenge on all three of them. I mean, The way he does it. He's trying to dust them all, but he's got the weird, creepy, those creepy powers. You know what I'm talking about? The creepy mind control powers. I feel like 
continuity-wise, it only works on women, but that seems so creepy. Wait, no, it doesn't just work on women. Don't you remember he put the whammy on Xander? Oh, you're right, he does. Good point, good point. I like this panel where he's looking in the crystal orb and it's the three of them and Spike is making like the most like fuckboy face ever. It's really <laughs> good. You know what I mean? He looks like he's straight out like one of those 90s like surfer like, yeah, I'm so cool things. It's pretty sick. Is it? It's pretty sick. It's pretty sick. Yeah, it's pretty funny. I mean, it fits his character. I like his little ponytail. It's real beautiful. But yeah, uh, Spike and Drew are fucking around in a bookstore. And Spike is bitching about this new book called Dracula. I mean, is it new? When was that published? I'm going to consult the internet. Oh, yeah. It was just published in 1897. And this comic takes place in 1898. Oh, so it's brand new. Mm-hmm. This one's signed by the author. Yes, so that's very special. And Spike buys it for Drusilla because she wants him to. They're supposed to meet Darla at the ballet, which is the same ballet that Angel and everyone go to see in Waiting in the Wings. Darla's hanging around by herself and Dracula approaches her. She seems to indicate... I believe, that she killed Jack the Ripper. I, no. (laughs) That could be anyone. You don't believe her? No, I'm just saying the the way she described it could have been anyone. Didn't have to be Jackie boy, you know? Could have been anyone. She could also just be saying that to be tough, you know? Okay. I like the way they draw Dracula's eyes, though, on this page. It's like he's staring right into my soul. Well, that's because he's probably putting the whammy on her. Oh, true. I can see the whammy coming from those eyes. (laughs) Those purple eyes. It's a nice color. I wish my eyes were that color. Purple-ish. Lavender. Lavender eyes. Do people have lavender eyes? Is that a thing? I'm not sure. Probably not commonly at the very least. Mine are just like light brown. That's not right. I want some lavender some lavender whammy eyes yeah Ooh, i also think twilight would be better if they all had lavender eyes instead the golden eyes or whatever well that's not how stephanie meyer wrote it well that's it i'm re-editing i'm gonna go in and change every line okay and i like that it's um indicated that like Angelus dragged Spike to see the ballet. They went on a date. Yeah, it happened. It happened. Canonical. They went on a date. Well, yeah. They're probably dating, you know, all four of them. Oh, no doubt. Okay. You know. Yes. I just looked a little further ahead and wanted to comment on Spike just killing the guy. That's cold, even for Spike, you know, just in public like that. Like, there's people sitting, like, one row away from him, and they don't notice shit. And I'm like, how do you not notice? God, Dracula's such a creep. Yeah, they're talking about Darla being Dracula's bride and blah, blah, blah. And then Spike and Drew get back, and Spike is all like, what the fuck? 
I feel like there's just always more loserly backstory to uncover about Spike. And this is part of it. You know? (laughs) just They got in a little argument about names, about this book, and about whether, you know, Spike is an adequate man or whatever. Yeah, this just, that sounds like Spike. I don't know. I know. he's. That's what he's like on the TV show the whole time. I know this. Yeah. And I'm sorry to say it because I know he's your favorite guy. That was for the listeners, right? No, it was for you. (laughs) Oh, uh, yikes. He's your favorite. I told a customer the other day who likes Buffy a lot that I was not a big Spike fan. And she was like, well, are you an Angel fan? I was like, no, definitely not. She was like, oh, good. I don't like Angel either, but I do like Spike. <laughs> and I was like, uh, well, I like Anya. And she's like, oh, yeah, yeah, no, yeah. Anya's better than both. So, <laughs> at least we agreed on that. Yes. And yeah, so we have this like really classy line where Spike says, if anyone is going to be filling anything of yours, it's me. Great. Classy dude. I like uh, the way they chose to color Dracula in that next panel because he's green and I like green Dracula. I feel like they did some funky coloring to Spike in this as well. Mm. Yo, Spike's chin is huge. In the the panel where he's getting choked out by Draco, you know, his chin is huge. That is such a good face. What is it? Like, it's he looks kind of like the meme of the handsome guy. What the hell is that? The handsome guy meme. The big chin. The handsome guy meme with the big chin. Yeah, you know, it's from some cartoon. Give me a sec. Give me a sec. Okay. Never mind. I can't explain it. I'm done. Sorry. Ignore it. Great. Uh, Handsome Squidward. Handsome Squidward is what it reminds me of, actually. Handsome Squidward. Okie dokie. People love Handsome Squidward. It's a thing. You know Handsome Squidward? That's what it looks like. Sure. That's a good thing. That means he's handsome. (laughs) Okay. Dang. Dracula's a jerk. Is he? He just threw Spike into the fire. You're mad about that? Man, Spike's coming through the fire and the flames. It's, I mean, it's mean. He burns very slowly. He does. Fire doesn't really affect vampires like they say it does, I'm sure. Sometimes in the Buffyverse, they burn wicked fast. Guess so. But I guess maybe Spike, not. Spike isn't terribly flammable, though. He's wearing a lot of clothes. Maybe the clothes protected him, the jacket. Yeah, he uh, goes and jumps in the river. And he, like, doesn't look fucked up at all. I'm like, he's been burned. Why doesn't he look fucked up? He looks kind of fucked. He looks very dirty. I don't think that would work very well. Hiding under a carriage like you would a car in an action movie. Yeah. Doesn't work the same. But yeah, so Darla and Drusilla have these, like, matching nightgown outfits. So that's very special for them. And Dracula's going to make them stake each other. And he's like topless and stuff. Yeah, Dracula. (laughs) I feel like he does that a lot. 
oh no, a bunch of angry pitchfork people come because meanwhile, Spike has riled up the townspeople. Mm-hmm. And, and he left Dracula a letter yeah, to the ponds. Yeah. I actually, I thought that was very fun, this whole letter part. You know, I feel like Spike's not usually that, uh, I'm not going to say not smart, but you know what I mean? It's not usually that planning. Except when he first showed up on the show, they always talked about how he was and how he could like, I don't know. Yeah. That he was like very good at planning and you'd plan ahead. It was a strategic guy, yeah. but then he wasn't. But he seems very strategic in this. This is, oof, he was 10 steps ahead. Yeah, he did pretty good. He was mad about uh, that 11 pound copy of Dracula. Yeah, that's really what made him mad. Yeah. It's not <laughs> Darla and Drusilla. I mean, listen. All these years later on the show, he's like, Dracula owes me 11 pounds. Fair, true. We're rivals. He's salty about it. I can't blame him. So Dracula is left to escape the angry townspeople, Spike and Drusilla and Darla, right away on horses. The horse on the last page is wild looking. Very big. This is a gigantic horse. The horse that Darla is riding is probably double the size of a normal horse, maybe triple. And I'm here for it. You know, I like this idea that they just get giant horses, like a 13 foot long horse. Yeah, I like the perspective is weird. Like she looks very tiny or very far away yeah from the horse that she's sitting on so the horse is just giant i don't care (laughs) like massive horse 13 feet long at least that should that should have come back in the show the giant Giant horses horses. yeah darla loves to ride enormous horses (laughs) that would be so sick (laughs) something i thought uh when i read this was like Spike and Drusilla and Darla like feel like the villains more than Dracula does because I mean like it starts from Dracula's perspective and they're responsible for the death of this person who was important to him and who like taught him magic things and whatever. They are the villains. I I mean, they're definitely the villains. So that's interesting. And I, I mean, I've read, I think I've read all the Spike versus Dracula comics before, but a really long time ago. So I don't remember what happens. So I'm curious where that goes. I'm curious how Dracula is portrayed because I think in this, he's very sympathetic, very sympathetic character. But anyway, yeah, I guess we can be done with this. Okay. Yo, what do we what do we got next? The Tales of the Vampires frame story is next. Yes. Okay. Which you can read in the five issue miniseries, Tales of the Vampires, uh, which was originally published 2003 to 2004. You can read them collected in the trade paperback, which came out in 2004. Or in the Tales hardcover, which came out in 2011. Or Omnibus Tales 
from 2018. I actually have a question because I read this in the Omnibus Tales book. And in the table of contents, it has it split into Tales of the Vampires Part 1, Part 2, Part 3, Part 4, Part 5, and Part 6. So the frame story was in six parts, and I'm wondering how... Issue five opens with the frame story and ends with the frame story. That's what I assumed must have been the case. Great. The frame story was written by Joss Whedon, penciled by Alex Sanchez. He drew some JSA Classified, some Katana. He recently did a series called Pandemica, did some Star Wars The Old Republic, you know, all over the place. Lots of couple issues here, couple issues there. Inked by Derek Friedolph and colored by Michelle Madsen, who we've seen some other things colored by. Letters by Annie Parkhouse. I have a question, but it's not till the end, so I can't say it yet. Okay. So this dude, Mr. Dunworthy, what is on his belt? He's got some stakes, he's got a cross, and then, like, what is the other thing? Pouch. Just a pouch? I think it's holy water. That's what I was thinking. Actually, yeah. It's a canteen of holy water. He's got a massive chin. Talking about big chins. He got a nice chin. I like his mustache. I, I, I wish mine curled like that. That'd be sick. He's a good looking guy. Is he? Yeah, look at all those wrinkles in those eyes. Oof. Wrinkles and eyes. Good looking guy. Makes you a good looking guy. Yep. So he's leading a whole bunch of little children down to this fucking dungeon at the Watcher's Academy. Yeah, because I got to hang out with this nice old vampire. Roach. Okay, honestly, I'm like, how many kids are there in the group? Because there's eight of them, but then there's only four of them. I'm like, what's happening? I thought it was five. You're right, there's eight in the first panel. I don't know why. (laughs) Where did they go? Yeah, I don't know. I thought it was five, but now I'm seeing eight on some panels, five on some, and four on others. So, some number of children have been led to the dungeon <laughs> to talk to Roche. Oh, I hated this line. I hated this line so much. I need to make a personal function. What's wrong with that? Who says that? I don't know. Ugh. James is the name of the person who needs to make a personal function. I just like how harsh uh, Roche is. He's green. Creepy little dude. Big dude. <laughs> little big dude. Actually, that's something I thought was funny uh, about the art in this one. The way they draw those kids. Massive heads. Yes. It's kind of sick. Except it kind of <laughs> reminds me of a... Uh, that corn album cover, like get heavy corn vibes off this story. Interesting. Well, anyway, the main children are uh, this curly-haired chick named Sophie, this straight-haired girl named Edna, this freckled kid named Roger, 
and this kid with a very like round jawline named James, and he needs to make a personal function. Protective weapons are doled out to the children, and Sophie does not want a cross or holy water or anything. She wants a stake. Yeah, because his other ones aren't effective. Yeah, that's why. They're down there to hear Roach talk about vampires of the past and also somehow the future. (laughs) I'm not sure how that's possible, but like, okay. I mean, he's just making shit up. He's bored, you know? When you're bored, you get to make stuff up, you know? He could tell them anything and they'd believe it. He could be like, uh, there was this vampire, and he could shrink to the size of an ant, and they'd be like, what? Really? Amazing. There's six kids in this panel. Oh, yeah, it really fluctuates. Are they feeding a pig to the vampire while the children eat sandwiches out of a basket? There's a lot of sandwiches in that basket. That's awesome. I would like a basket full of sandwiches. Yeah, Man, nice. I really want a sandwich now. God damn it. You're just, you want all kinds of food. It's 11.39 p.m. I'm not going to be able to get a sandwich anywhere. No, and what was the other thing you were talking about? Oh, who knows? And Roger keeps calling James sausage roll. Yeah, that's mean. Yeah, I don't think James appreciates it. Yeah, Roger seems to be kind of a jerk. Yeah, I agree. I mean, because he also makes fun of Edna. Yes, because she likes the baker's boy. But Edna is getting a bit perceptive and thoughtful uh, about, you know, listening to Roche. It's true. Well, she starts antagonizing Roche. She's trying to make him mad, see what'll happen. And at the end of the day, she writes in her journal that today she spoke with a dead man. She finds something comforting about the familiarity with which Roach talks to her and the other children. Yeah, she thinks hanging out with a vampire all night's electrifying. Yeah, she's a little spooky at this point, I think. She's a little spooky and suspicious seeming. Yeah. I was going to say the proportions seem really weird, but maybe they aren't. No, they so are. I think it's about the head being so large. Oh, the proportions are weird. Yeah, I was talking about that earlier. Yeah. That's why it looks like corn. Yeah, no, but they're supposed to be 10, and this looks like kind of like toddler-ish proportions. Yeah. I mean, the one panel, the panel that has the... He makes me feel as though I should like him to know me to be his equal, even as an adversary, should like to walk about his world. Yes, that's what I'm looking at now, too. In that panel, she looks like a squashed old woman, and I'm into it. I think it's awesome. (laughs) Like, just a shrunk old woman. But God, like, look at this miserable dormitory they sleep in. Watcher's Academy sucks. Yeah, but this is a long time ago. They probably spruced it up a little. In the morning, Edna asks, um... Well, Roach is really, he's really going for it. Because the next morning when they go to see him, he's talking about how he's missed them and how if it were not for these chains, I should tear your heads and make a fountain of your spurting necks. That's nice. Num-nums. Like, he's really, he's going for it. 
And a couple screws pop out of the wall. Oh, yeah. No, that's because she makes a mat. And then Edna wants to know how Roche became a vampire. And so then we get to hear about that. And as a human, he sure made some facial expressions. Oh, yeah, he did. I'm telling you. He was a cobbler, and he says that the very nice shoes were the only thing he saw of his sire before his sire pulled him out of the grave later. Mm. Roach says that his sire has the power to mesmerize, and then Roger gets whammied. And that's when Edna realizes they're not there as students, they're lambs. Yo, these watchers are so slow. That happens a lot, I think. Yo, they need to get better at their jobs. Yeah, they're like taking crossbows off their backs after the children are like being accosted already. Like, yeah. Well, they wait no. until the vampire's hand is on the kid's throat <laughs> to pull out some protection. Nah, you gotta have that arrow pointed at him the whole time. Jeez, Edna's such a badass. Where did she get that knife? Right? Like, oh my god. Like, it just comes out of nowhere, and she's ready. Yeah, so Edna grabs curly hair girl Sophie and has a knife to her throat because she has figured out that Sophie is Roche's sire. Who's Lily Langtree? Why do I know this name? If you're God, I'm Lily Langtree. Oh, I meant to look that up and forgot. Oh, an actress. I see. Very famous actress in the 1800s. Okay. This doesn't like totally work for me. The thing about Sophie not wanting to take a cross or holy water makes sense as like a clue or whatever. But like, what are the chances that she'd be here? You know? Well, she wanted to go uh, break out Roach. But like the other stuff, it's like, oh, she's rich and has nice shoes. It's like, when does he okay. say D'Ansame or whatever? Because she's like, D'Ansame, the lonely and the feminine, not a man. Keep not seeing him saying that. It's on the page where he's a human. Oh, okay. Also, uh, your pronunciation was surely horrible. What language is it? German. <laughs> oh, yeah, I don't know German. Me neither, except for Gesundheit. I know, uh, du, du hast. <laughs> oh, yeah, I know that too. <laughs> <laughs> du hast mich. Great podcast. <laughs> We've all heard it's classic. It is. Whatever, it doesn't matter. I don't speak German. Sophie throws Edna pretty mm -hmm. fucking hard. Yeah, and hard enough to smash the wall. Yeah. And then but it's listen. impressive because Edna's not really messed yeah. up at all. Yeah, this 10-year-old, her face was fine. Children are so resilient. So here's the thing that got me. <laughs> Reading this, I'm like, oh, Edna's actually a slayer. Like That's what mm. it feels like the whole time up until you get to the end. Mm. She's a slayer. I don't care what they say. My headcanon, Edna, a slayer. Okay. You want to learn about vampires, little girl? Here's your very last lesson. 
don't call my hair stupid. Don't talk about their hair. They don't like it. Dracula's probably the same way. You see how nice his hair is all the time? Angel, he's always trying to do his hair up, you know? They really care about that hair. Yeah. Yep, and she Edna really does love the baker's boy. Sure does. Edna's mm-hmm. fine. She has like a cut on her face, but like whatever. She's probably not even severely concussed or anything because, you know, uh, children are fine when they get smashed into walls. She yells at everybody. Yeah, about how they're all dumb. Oh my God, I love this panel. What the one panel? where it says you are adult. Look at how it's drawn. It's so weird. I'm going to start just sending that to people. That's what they get. They say something I don't like. I just respond, <laughs> you are adult with that. Yeah, they'll get the point. I do like this. And then she's telling them pretty much that she could do a much better job and is going to reboot the Watchers Council. Before she, uh, you know, does anything major with the Watchers Council, she's uh, going up to the bakery to chat with Giles's grandfather. I wonder if she's Giles's grandmother, Grandma Edna. Maybe so. Oh, okay. So this comes up later and you're not going <laughs> to tell me. That's messed up. Um I I wanted to say uh what is it? Kirsten Dunst as the little like vampire girl. What is that from? Um I know what you're talking about. Is it Interview with a Vampire? Yeah. Okay. She's on one of the covers, like, as, like, it's Sophie, but it's just very much uh, Kirsten Dunst from Interview with a Vampire. Oh. We should have watched it. I think we'll be okay. I'm pro- We're probably missing a bunch of things. Bunch of references. References. Yeah. All right, uh, what do we got next? Uh, okay, next up is the IDW miniseries Angel, Barbary Coast. Uh, you can read the single issues. It's three issues. They were published in 2010. There was a trade paperback also in 2010. Or they are also in volume two of the IDW Angel Omnibus which came out in 2011. It is written by David Tishman, who is most well known for working on American Century with Howard Chaikin. He did another book, Angel in the Ape, also with Howard Chaikin and art by Philip Bond, and also worked on Bite Club and some Star Trek. Drawn by Franco Uru, who is an Italian comic artist who's mostly known for working on Spike in Angel Comics. He did Spike Asylum, Spike Shadow Puppets, and Angel After the Fall. He sadly passed away in 2012. It was colored by Andrea Priorini, who I could not find much else from. Only worked on IDW books. So I feel like the past couple of books we've read, a lot of the people involved were just like IDW's in-house artists. I think it's very interesting. Hmm. And for the most part, they worked on Buffyverse books and then some Star Trek books. Mm-hmm. Yep. Lettered by Neil Uatake and edited by Maria Huner. 
I meant to say Mariah. Mariah Huner. You can edit that later. Again, like, we're talking about the editors now, and you refuse to talk about the Dark Horse editor? (laughs) This seems strange. Whatever. I'm ready. I'm ready to just talk about the book. This has a note in the front that says, special thanks to our watcher, Joss Whedon. Yikes. I think a lot of the IDW books say that in it, actually. So this is San Francisco, April of 1906. Uh, specifically in a particular area of San Francisco known as the Barbary Coast, which was like red light district. This story's wild. I just gotta say it. <laughs> this whole thing is so ridiculous. Very obvious that this dude reading the newspaper is going to be important later on, like, the first page. No, he's just some guy. He's nobody important. It had a lot of, um, like, sound effects. They felt pretty standard, but I felt like there were a lot of them. Yeah, wax, thumps, smack, whoomph. So this is a few years after Angel got his soul. And he's looking for someone named Shin. He gets in a little altercation with Jin and then wakes up uh, with Jin doing acupuncture to his face. Supposedly it feels amazing. I've never gotten acupuncture. Neither have I, but Angel's saying it's very calming. At the Olympia, there is this woman named Ling Kai. Kind of a dangerous spot. It's a seedy underground bar. Yeah, with like this kind of bat troll demon thing and some gambling. Yeah. I like that the Olympia is full of monsters and things. Like they just killed this guy and they're going to cut him up and feed him to the crowd. Yeah, it's probably fine. That's tight. Yo, no one is buying a $360 dress in that time period. You know how much that would be with inflation? A lot of dollars. Well, let's see. So, one dollar in nineteen oh six is equivalent in purchasing power to about thirty one fifty today. She was gonna buy an eleven thousand dollar dress. Fuck yeah, she was. <laughs> I had so much money. I wish I had eleven thousand dollars. I would not spend on a dress. Well, why not? Cause I, I, I don't know. That's a down payment on a house. I'd be owning a house. Angel is looking for some kind of magic to help him because he has been tormented by guilt and voices and whatnot since getting his soul back. Angel makes a bargain with Jin that Jin will do something to help him out if Angel goes and finds Ling Kai, who has an unfinished tattoo of a dragon. So this part bugs me. Yeah. Because he's all like, the symbols on the parchment hold a mystic spell that induces paralysis and undead. Just one of the many secrets I hold. And then it doesn't work. And Angel sighs, best thing I can figure, Chinese magic only works on Chinese vampires. I don't like that. But then I was like, oh, well, the real reason the spell doesn't work is because he has a soul. I think if he didn't have a soul, it would work. Mm, Okay. That's what I decided. That's my headcanon. 
Sure. I think they're kind of loosey-goosey on what does or doesn't work on such and such kinds of, like, non-humans and shit. Um, There's sort of, like, this weird thing in this comic, I think. Like, the stuff, like, choose a job you love and you will never work a day in your life. And it just feels kind of weird to me. That's like, oh, haha, like, sort of non-sequitur bits of, I don't know, like, Eastern philosophy or whatever. And it's like, meh. Yeah, it's very, it's very Mr. Miyagi. Oh, wait, you've never seen Karate Kid. You need to watch Karate Kid because it's an amazing film. We have to watch Karate Kid and Interview with a Vampire. They're the same thing, you know, pretty much. Very similar. It's basically the same movie. Yeah. Probably don't even have to watch both of them. No, you gotta watch both. Oh, here's a sound effect. Spinkle Tink. I like his little, his real, like, Batman, like, most of the time I stick to the rooftops. It's so Batman. He's so badass and cool. And oh my god, it's the guy who was reading the newspaper. But you got to do it right. Come on. I've seen this guy reading in the lobby. I figured him for the hotel dick. I didn't figure he was stupid. Okay, this is really wild to me. Angel throws him off the roof. Yes. And his head blows up. (laughs) (laughs) He hits the sidewalk and his head explodes <laughs> with a boom sound effect. <laughs> what? And those poor people walking on the sidewalk. <laughs> That's actually a really good scream face. I I love that. You see Angel like jumping overhead. Yeah, because he's special. Batman. Bad Irish Batman. (laughs) Here's a thing that, like, come on. This seems like something someone should have caught. The Olympia is the name of this place. And then they refer to it as the Odyssey. Oh, when? Where? I'm on the page after the exploding head. Top of the page says the Odyssey. It doesn't say it on mine. I guess they added that for the trade, but they messed up. Well, if also, if you go back to the Spinkle Tink page, yeah. it refers to it as the Odyssey there as well. They do. Yeah, there they call it the Odyssey. What they did, I believe, is they fucked it up. Um, yeah, Angel's doing what I guess is a classic for him, pretending to be drunk. And then he knocks out the lady. Finds Ling Kai, and she opens her dress. And she has this, like, magical glowing cross tattoo. I got really confused because I didn't think it was a tattoo. I thought she just wore that in case a vampire attacked. It's not drawn in a way that makes it look like a tattoo. Gives her really shiny boobs. I'm just going to say it's really weird. That whole panel is very strange. And he's all like, titties, what? Yeah, no, no, it sounds like he's saying arg, but his face is definitely more of a whoa. But yeah, and then like right at that moment, there's like a raid or whatever. And there's cops and there's punching and all kinds of nonsense. A cab. Indubitably. See, yeah, no, like what they're saying here. Police swarm across the bar using the excuse to crack heads and steal from thieves. Freaking cops. Yes. I like that his decision that is to just lay on the floor. Like, this sucks. I'm going to sleep. 
That's the end of the first issue. Look at all those monsters. This is the crazy thing to me. I don't think the cops are busting into this place and then being like, all right, we're arresting the bat demon. What? No. These cops have seen some shit if they're just like chill with bat demons and whatever other monsters there are there, you know? Like, they are not phased. I mean, I think the one actually monster-looking monster is the bat dude. Guess so. There's like a zombie-looking guy, too. Dang, he's having a bad day. So he's already on the ground, and the cop just starts beating him with a stick while he's sleeping in the bar. And it's like, yo, let the man take a nap. Leave him alone. Yeah, what's-his-face? Hawkins, Detective Hawkins. Is all like, didn't know you're a vampire. Those are like foot-long rats. That kitchen is gross. I, I don't know what you're talking about. Half of it's very clean, and half of it's feeding rats. I think the rats probably like pay to be there. Ling Kai, when she runs away, she goes to hide out on a boat. But somehow Angel knew she would be there. It's because he's bad Irish Batman. True. Hey, is this Abraham Bear ever come up again later? What I can tell you about him is he was the uh, the end is near guy from a couple pages ago. That's what I can tell you about him. Oh, okay. So he's going to be in Angel after the fall. Bart evidently is going to continue to try to kill Angel. Did I say Bart's name earlier? Uh, I don't think so, but I don't remember them mentioning it earlier. Okay, well, exploding head on the sidewalk getting thrown off building, dude, is named Bart. Meanwhile, Angel has brought Ling Kai back to Jin, and, uh, what's his face? Jimmy Watson. Wait. Jimmy Watson shows up. What? What? Uh, What? This is just, like, a wild thing. Okay. So Abraham Bear is an actual person. Okay. He was anti-capitalist, edited a magazine, and he opposed colonial imperialism of the United States, and he wrote books and stuff. And then he initially supported a military coup that happened, and he kept getting arrested. And then in 1982, him with 14 other people who opposed the coup were all assassinated by the military. Jesus. Hold on. Okay, I'm thinking this has absolutely nothing to do with anything. Maybe. Maybe it's just a coincidence, but it's a crazy coincidence. Whatever. Everyone, go read about it because it's very interesting, and I think it makes uh, the story more interesting. But yeah, this dude Watson, uh, who Ling was at the Olympia with, shows up with a gun, and it looks like it's going to be a whole thing. But then she turns into a dragon. This dialogue is wild. My knowledge of Eastern culture is nil, but I do know a curse when I see it. And that dragon was big. The fuck is this line? What's the dragon saying? Roar. That sounds like something a dragon would say. Fumoosh. And Watson is dead. And Angel's kind of like, okay, cool, fuck this, bye. But Jing is like, you have to bring her back. Because otherwise her soul will be lost. 
in these last couple of panels, they just kind of stop drawing Angel's face and it just becomes like a block of cheese. <laughs> and I'm really into it. I think the artist just is like, all right, I'm running out of time. Here we go. Cheese face. Oh, this is sick too. Him riding the like the trolley with the sword out. I think that looks so silly. It's so silly. I don't know why they would do that. It's awesome. <laughs> this sums up how ridiculous it is. The a vampire with a soul trying to fight the soul of a Chinese girl trapped inside a dragon. A fire-breathing dragon with an overactive tail. And it's like, what are you talking about? This yeah, premise is wild, even for you. But then, oh no, it's Bart. Bart's fucking it all up. Yo, okay, I just think it's so wild. This is too powerful of a demon. Like, he gets lit on fire, he's fine. His head explodes, he's fine. Really, the head explodes is just too much for me. Where did he come from? Yeah. And they get into a bit of a fight. And then he does some bad dialogue. Oh. <laughs> you didn't notice. How about that? Like, this takes the cake. This is really rough dialogue. Which bit? Stronger is the tree that bends. What does that mean? Mm -hmm. It means demons, like a gong, should be struck regularly. Yeah, I didn't think that was very good either. It's just kind of offensive, you know, the way they did the wording. Yeah, I honestly was reading it more as like, more of like an error than like... Uh, no, that's him being offensive. Yeah, well that's hardly surprising, is it? It's not. God, also, like, imagine, just imagine this all in his horrible Irish accent. Oh, that's bad. So, the earthquake that happens, is this a real event? San Francisco, April 16th, 1906. Are you looking it up? Maybe. Okay. So, it looks like they were wrong by two days. So close. So, the 1906 San Francisco earthquake was on Wednesday, April 18th at 5.12 a.m. They said it happened on the 16th at 6.14 a.m. So almost exactly two days off. No, they said it was at 5.14 a.m. Oh, sorry. Whatever. So they're almost exactly 48 hours off. But it was wow. a huge earthquake and fire that wrecked San Francisco. Was there a dragon in real life? Probably. Doesn't say, but I, I imagine yes. And that's the end of issue two. Now it's on to issue three. Fighting Bart some more. This is just something I thought about. Would he be called Angel? Would he still be Angelus? Um, or does he immediately become Angel when he gets a soul? So I think as far as like him defining who he is, I think he is not Angel right now, maybe. Okay. I don't know. I, yeah, I feel like he hasn't like become Angel yet. And I don't really know when that happens. This shot of the dragon breathing fire on the buildings is beautiful. Actually, yeah, I think this one page looks really, really good. The Like Hell on Earth page. Yes. Right? Doesn't it just look nice? Sure. I don't know. I just tell him about it. It's just, it's good. And then Angel gets hit with a whamp. He sure does. He, oh yeah, and Bart lets slip that there's a they who said Angel's the best, and now Angel wants to know who they are. Yes, indeed. Yep. 
And he knocks him out with a knife to the heart. Well, I think that's a stake. I mean, a spike from the... Oh, you're right. From the... It's a railroad From the trolley tracks. Yeah. He does pretty good in the sunlight. Like, yeah, he's getting burnt up, but it's not going too fast. There's a lot of smoke blocking the sun a bit. True. The flammable nature of vampires seems very variable. Here's something. Well, okay, so, like, Bart's dead, I guess. That's all it took to kill Bart. Okay. He could get his head exploded. Maybe he's like a cat and he's got nine lives and that was his ninth. <laughs> it's finally the end for him. Okay, here. In a speech bubble. Cough! Exclamation point. Cough! Exclamation point. Yeah. Cough, cough. That seemed odd. I feel like things like that aren't typically like presented in the same way as like speech is in comics. Am I wrong? Uh, I guess so. You guess I'm wrong? No, no, I feel like <laughs> it can go either way. Okay. Admittedly, I've not read terribly many comics. But yeah, Detective Hawkins wants to, like, blow things up to make the fire stop. Is that a thing? Yeah, because then it can't spread, because then uh, There's it'll collapse. Left. Yeah, it can't reach <laughs> the next building. What a great plan. I really like this look for Angel, and I think he should have kept it up. Oh, like the, the material wrapped around yeah. his face? Yeah, I really liked that, too. I um, think... He grabs the whistle from the detective, and off he goes. But yes, he looks very, like, invisible man. Yes. Or the unknown soldier. I'm into it. I think he should have just kept that look forever. What if he showed up on Buffy like that? That'd be cool. He came to see Buffy for the first time during the day instead of creeping behind her at night on the way to the bronze. And he was just wrapped up like that. He'd be pretty interesting. I agree. Yeah, and then he takes it off right away when he gets inside. What the heck is that thinking? Like, I get that he's thinking now, oh, there's so much smoke that it blocks out the sun. But still, no, keep those It seems like a on, risky move. Right? Seems like a risky move. And he tries to ride the dragon. A dragon's like a horse with wings, right? I can ride a yes. horse. <laughs> How hard can this be? And then the dragon just breathes fire and breaks the rope. That was smart. And then he just has this stroke of genius. And this guy is there who tunes the organ and can play the organ. And oh my goodness, this is the way to subdue the dragon and get Wing Kai back by... Oh, what was it that Jin said earlier? Like the back door of her heart or whatever. And that's yes. what he's doing. So Finding what... the back door of her heart. I didn't. I don't understand what he's playing. Yeah, who knows what's happening? What is this piece of metal <laughs> that he's being handed to play? Oh, yeah, I don't know what he's handing him there. I do not understand that. It looks like like a dagger. Yeah, I don't know what that is. Consult the internet. A tuning cone, I suppose. And then for some reason, the whistle makes the dragon go crazy. And then he watches as Ling Kai struggles... Against the dragon spirit, trying to control the animal inside her. The dragon looks awesome. 
Yeah, so the the Oregon calms the dragon, but then the whistle pisses it off. And that's enough to get her to defeat the dragon and turn back into a person. That whistling. Ling Kai is Ling Kai again. An angel carries her out. And meanwhile, Lynch and the the bat demon guy are stealing some shit. Yeah, robbing houses. Jin finishes Ling Kai's tattoo. Oh wait, what but what do you think what happens to Lynch? Oh yeah, does he just fall? I don't really know what's happening. Oh, I think something falls on top of him. Okay, well, that's the end of him, I guess. Like, okay. How incomplete was this tattoo, and how long did it take him to finish it? I think it took him, like, half an hour. <laughs> it was almost done. <laughs> but yeah, Linkai's not happy, and I think that's fair. But here's the thing. So if they finish the tattoo, she gets the power of the dragon. That seems sick. Yeah, but I mean, like, I feel like a lot of other people have been making some decisions for her. True. And now she's broke because she was making her money at the club. Yeah. The angel whispers something to her. I think that speech bubble is very silly. The one where she's like, that's what he's whispering. <laughs> That's just what he's saying to her ear. You get the close and just be like, <laughs> and that was enough to have her be like, "Oh man, I gotta leave." He's me, which isn't very polite. If you didn't know, saying is mean. It's not polite. It's very impolite, and he means it. So was he like threatening her? I don't know what he says. <laughs> he says, I mean, he kind of threatens her, but that's because she keeps tempting him. But he's better than that. Hmm. Anyway, so he's out of there. But guess what? Bart is fine. And Bart is talking to someone from Wolfram and Hart. And so that's that. Angel thinks maybe he should try Mexico. And on the way, he can stop in Los Angeles. Yep. And nothing can go wrong there. Nothing whatsoever. I think we're done. I think we're done. Okay. Uh, hold do you on. want to do your little outro? Yeah, I got to do a little outro thing. All right. So that's it for this episode. Next episode, we will be talking about Angel, Blood, and Trenches, and also Angel versus Frankenstein Part 2, which I'm sure you've been looking forward to. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Buffy Comics Pod. You can visit our website, BuffyVerseComicBookClub.com, for a reading list and to find out where to listen. I guess that's it. Right? Yeah, that's it. Okay, bye. Bye.